So we're going to begin this morning with a little interview, a little interview, and uh, because we do something at Sanctuary called Christmas at St. Joseph's. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in just a minute here. But uh, so I'm going to bring up TAPS in just a moment. And uh, for those of you that don't know TAPS, TAPS is our worship leader and uh, uh, an amazing young man. So TAPS, you're going to Zimbabwe Christmas time every year you go that. And I just want people to know the story because they don't really know the story. I don't think any, actually I was learning the story in our first service here. But um, so TAPS, tell us, so TAPS is from an orphanage. Uh, it, it was born an orphan in Zimbabwe. So tell us, Taps, what it's like life in an orphanage and what in your story. Um, good morning. Uh, I, uh, for me, uh, growing up in an orphanage, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was normal because I, at that five, six, you kind of assume that everybody grows up in a home with a hundred plus kids around. Um, and, uh, you know, my early childhood was, was, was pretty amazing and only when I got older did it get a bit more challenging because I started to understand uh, we went to regular school with with kids from different backgrounds and so we would hear them talk about their parents and what did you think of that somebody's talking about their parents how did that register for you um I didn't know what parents were so I remember asking my friend I said what do you when you talk about parents what is that and he said oh it's I have a mom and a dad and I said but what is that? You know, I had no concept of, of uh, so it just, yeah. As a, so parents God, were yeah. a completely foreign concept. Absolutely. Completely, you've never even heard of the subject. Never heard of the subject before, yeah. Huh. And, um, and you, were, you were at Harari's Boys Home there in Zimbabwe. Yes. And then you, you moved to the St. Joseph's Boys Home. Yes. So with, was, with the pictures. So how, how, tell us about that. Yeah, so what was that like? I was at a children's home from zero to nine years old. When you and say you were there at zero, what, how did you get there? I got dropped off at the orphanage when I was two days old at a, at a doorstep of the children's home. So your parents just... Left me at the doorstep of the... Of and the, went away. And went away, yeah. And um, I remember at nine years old um, getting told that we're taking you to a, to a different home. So for all of those who have kids, you can imagine uh, telling your kids that we're going to put you and live with a completely different family. Uh, for me, it was so traumatic. I remember that day, even just if I closed my eyes, I can see my nine-year-old self screaming and kicking. And, and I tried to hold on to anything that I could. And I figured if I screamed louder, if I cried a little louder, it would... They would let me stay, but um, I remember even in the when they put me in the in the truck, just scratching on the windows and just I mean I just crying and crying and crying. So it was very traumatic. How many move. people? I mean, did it take to? It took four, four, four of the the four. grown men to put me in the car. Four grown men mm-hmm. to put me in the car. Yeah, it was very tra- traumatic. Wow. So um, you grew up in those two orphanages, mm-hmm. and. Tell us, talk about Christmas. Like, what's Christmas like in the orphanage? What did you experience? Uh, my my experience of Christmas, uh, Christmas was just like a date like today. It didn't exist when I was there, so uh, maybe we knew of Christmas, but we didn't know the experience of Christmas. So you had you had the day. This is Christmas, but 
Just another day. It was just another day. Um, like, I mean, no tree, no glitter, no, no presents. No like tree, no glitter, no presents. A meal? Once in a while, maybe if somebody remembered that there were a couple of kids who had no parents in an orphanage, somebody would come in and donate. And so we would probably have a, a special meal. But that was probably, if I remember, maybe twice in the 18 years that I was... So a couple times in 18 years, mm-hmm. you had a, they... they uh, did a little something for Christmas. Yeah, they otherwise, did just the otherwise same. it was just just a regular. And day. what about presents? I mean, and you were there eighteen years, and, yeah. and eighteen years like we do cards, we do Christmas stockings, we do presents. And how many presents did you get in eighteen years when you were at the orphanage? Um, I got zero presents, and it was so. So you never had a Christmas present your whole life. My whole life, yeah, yeah, and I think. You know, it's um, when I look back at that time, it's hard to comprehend because it does, it makes me emotional. Mm. Because makes me emotional. Yeah, it, you know, it's a it's a day where people with families get together and celebrate. But for a lot of us who were growing up back then, it was a day where essentially we were forgotten. You know, and um, yeah, so we never. Were you aware you were forgotten? The older I got, yes. You were aware? Yeah. I'm here in this home and I'm forgotten. Yeah. It's like we we don't even matter. Hmm. We know, no one cares. You know, and because we would hear when we went back to school, oh, I got this for Christmas and I got that for Christmas and we did this for Christmas and we did that. And they would ask us and we would, we would just have nothing to say. It was just like, oh, we just. We were just sitting around. So, yeah, the older you got, it stung a bit more. So you came to America. You were 18, 19. And uh, I remember that day. And uh, so when you came and uh, you were with the family in Orange County and they wanted to do Christmas and uh, tell a little bit about that. Yeah, I remember like it was sort of this time after Thanksgiving and I saw them putting all these ornaments up and a tree up and... It was so foreign to me, and I was like, what's going on here? You know, like, what's, what's all this stuff going up? And they were explaining Christmas to me. And I remember, you know, sort of as Christmas was getting closer, they said, what do you want for Christmas? And I remember looking at them and saying, I don't know what you mean. And they said, we want to get you something for Christmas. What do you want? And I remember saying, I don't understand the question, because no one had ever asked me that question before. And so they explained, well, at Christmas, you know, we ask all our kids if there's something that they would want. And usually they give us a long list. And I remember saying to them, I would like to, if you're going to give me something, I would like to go and throw a Christmas party back in Zimbabwe uh, for the kids that I grew up with. Because at that time, I'd already, I was already more than blessed. You know, I'd been here for a couple of months and my life had changed and... I remember just... Uh, of all the orphans in yeah. Zimbabwe, and how, how old is St. Joseph's? St. Joseph's has probably been around now for about 107 years. 107 yeah. years. So St. Joseph's has been there for 107 years. Uh, between that and other home, about 100 kids, 100 orphans, more than that. Um, how many have come that you're aware of have come to America? Uh, none but me. You're the only one. So what did you want to do for Christmas for them? You told them you wanted, you didn't want anything 
but I want Christmas for St. Joseph. Yeah, I said, I don't want anything. I said, if it's possible, can we go back? Can I go back home and throw a Christmas party for these kids? And they looked at me and they're like, uh, that's what you want? And I said, that's what I would love if that's okay with you guys. And I remember saying to them, if we do it, though, I want us to do it big. <laughs> <laughs> I want Big us, food, big everything. Big food, big everything. I said, I just, if there's one day that they can completely forget that they are in an orphanage and just completely let loose without food. See, one thing I forgot in the first service, when, when people bring food to an orphanage, they usually ration the food and they say, okay, we got to save it for tomorrow and the next day. So you never really get, so you're always hungry. So always I, hungry. I remember when I, was a, when I was growing up, I was always hungry until I moved here. You know, I remember constantly being hungry. Your whole life. My whole hungry. life, yeah. And so I said, if we can get them to just be full for one day, just one day, where they just eat to the point where it's just like, oh, <laughs> man. You know, if, uh, it reminds me one day when you took us to Simba and I to the Mission Inn. <laughs> you took us to the Mission Inn when we first came. And I remember saying that to was him, for your birthday. For my something. birthday. Yeah. And uh, I said, if the Lord decided to take me today, I would go a very happy man. <laughs> because I've eaten to my heart's content. <laughs> and so that's what I wanted for these kids. It's like at least one day where they can be like, you know what? We ate and we celebrated and we were not forgotten. Mm. And so that's been my, what I've been wow. doing. Yeah. Wow. So you're going to, so you've been going back to Zimbabwe every year since then at Christmas time to bring Christmas to St. Joseph's and to the Harari's boy home. Tell us you're going to go and uh, what, what are we going to like? What, what a uh, so sanctuary. So here's all that to say this is that taps came from Zimbabwe to America, the only orphan ever in the history of Harari's or St. Joseph's, and uh, we've adopted, you know, we've, like, Taps is like a son to us, and uh, he comes in from L.A. He drives from L.A. every Sunday, and why do you do that? You know, I say, you're back in L.A., they're like, there's so many churches around here, why do you drive all the way up? And I said, because it's family. Uh It's not just a church for me anymore, because if if I was just going to church, I could go anywhere else. Mm -hmm. I mean, my family in Newport Beach go to Mariners, mm-hmm. so I could easily go there. But I said my family is in Beaumont, and Sanctuary has become my family, and that's why I go. It doesn't even feel – sometimes I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got here so quick. So mm-hmm. it doesn't even feel like um, like a long ride. So there's, there's, I mean, hundreds of thousands of orphans all over the world. And we can't do anything about the hundreds of thousands, but there's a hundred orphans that we've been helping. And so that's what we're going to do this Christmas, Christmas at St. Joseph's. And so on December 9th, uh, we're going to be able to contribute to that. And what, what Yeah, we're what? going to be able to, uh, to and in two weeks, we'll show you some of the pictures of Christmas's past, of what we've done for these kids. But yeah, we're just going to make a day that they just will never forget. Mm. You know, that's the goal is to make them feel that there are people 10,000 miles across the oceans who are thinking about you, who think that you're special and want you to have a day just like they're having with their kids and their family. And so, yeah. It's great. I just, you know, I just love being a part of this journey and I love that um, we can do something for St. Joseph's. I've been there with you, Taps, and, and Harari's boys' home. 
And that, uh, so we're going to adopt 100 orphans. You are going to adopt them, okay? And, um, and TAPS, TAPS will bring uh, our gifts to them. So, uh, Aaron, it's beautiful, TAPS. And, um, thank you. Uh, thank you, all right. I just want to oh, say to, to Sanctuary, uh, you guys have no idea just the impact that you've had on a lot of these kids, especially with the school uniforms. And I, I go there and they say, they really think about us. Mm. And I say, yeah. And one of the kids is like, but they've never met us. Mm. They don't even know who we are. And I said, but that's God's love. Mm. And that's how much people are constantly. I said, you, if you look at my life, I've been blessed. And they're just trying to do the same thing for you. Mm. So what you've done for these kids will impact them 10, 20 years to come. Because when they feel like they're alone, and they feel like they're forgotten, they will always remember that there's a church of people who are constantly thinking about me. So thank you. Thanks, Chaps. Right on. Yeah, thank you. That's such a beautiful story. Uh, how's everybody doing? So we wanted you to know the story before we do the before we take up uh, uh, an orphan Zimbabwe offering on December 9th. So uh, and again in a couple of weeks we're going to show what's been happening there. But um, so I have a short message that I want to share with you this morning, and we're going to take a break. We're taking a break from after God's heart, the life of David, and uh, we'll be circling back with that. The reason that we're doing that is this reason: because you have one chance. You've got one crack. Okay, in the midst of the holiday season, really, you've got one chance, one crack here to enjoy the beauty and the serenity and the peace and like the awesomeness of Thanksgiving. How many people love Thanksgiving? You know, I love Thanksgiving so much. And so, uh, but you know what's happening, right? I mean, the gun is going off at Thanksgiving where we kind of sprint through the holidays and uh, the next 30 days, you know, you have Black Friday and you're going to buy more, celebrate more eat more, shop more, more gatherings, decorate more, more parties, you know, more celebrations, got to find the right presents, you know, you got December 23rd, the Sunday before Christmas, New Year's Eve services, then you're, you know, if you're going to throw in a vacation there, so, uh, uh, so, so much going on at this holiday time here that you can feel overwhelmed, so many things are hitting at your hearts, and so uh, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel like I kind of get steamrollered, you know, by the holidays here. And uh, I like to just pause here and just say, hey, how can we get it right this year? How can we get it right? You know, uh, where you could look back and say, you know what? There was a lot going on and I was running fast and all. But how can we capture the very most important thing about the holiday here and what's ahead of us? So we're going to talk this morning about the importance of having an attitude of gratitude. I want to looks like, you know, at Thanksgiving time to actually be thankful here. And so we don't want to be limited to giving thanks, you know, like once a year here. And so uh, this is what I know to be true, is your best life is on the other side of thankfulness. And your best life is on the other side of having an attitude of gratitude here. And uh, this is what I know to be true. And what the science proves the science proves this, that if you have an attitude of gratitude, it will absolutely 
utterly changed your life. And so we're going to unpack that in just a moment here. So I'm inviting you to engage in this conversation here as we discover, you know, how can we be thankful on Thanksgiving? So we're going to do three things this morning. We're going to look at, like, why aren't we thankful? Like, what are all the things that hit at us to keep us from having gratitude in our hearts? Then we're going to look at what does it actually mean from God's perspective to be thankful, I want to do like a little kind of little fun exercise there in being thankful. And so uh, let me read to you. You know, if you're here this morning, you're like, you know what? Uh, it's kind of a church talk. You know, it's kind of a kind of a preacher thing, whatever. I just want to say that's not true at all. The message this morning, it doesn't matter if you're like a church person or not. The message this morning affects everyone because everyone can have an attitude of gratitude and be thankful regardless of what you believe, regardless of what you think about the Bible. So here's the science, okay? Here's, you know, for, I'm going to quote to you from Harvard Medical School, smart people, white coats, and I quote, gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. And here's a summary from 40 studies on research and grat- uh, 40 uh, gratitude research articles. Here's what gratitude does for you. Increases your well-being, makes you more engaged, improves relationships, makes you more patient, helps you sleep, uh, eases depression, stops overeating. Come on, somebody right there. Come on. Uh, here we come. So makes you more relaxed, more energy, less envious, less materialistic, gives you lasting happiness, increases productivity, increases performance, helps your heart, helps you cope with stress, boosts mental strength, decreases headaches, uh, less gastrointestinal upset, gives you a healthier marriage, you'll be sick less, and you will exercise more. Does anybody want to be thankful? Come on. I mean, get, that's amazing. You can go, if you don't believe me, just Google it. All you have to do is Google it. And you, can, you can read about all the studies there. And so here's, here's where, uh, where it all began here. And here's where some things went wrong. And here's what I want you to see about yourself. Why maybe you don't have an attitude of gratitude. And why you're really not as thankful. And here's why. Because something's broken inside of us. And it began in the garden. And so let me just unpack that here. The Garden of Eden, you know, there's Adam and Eve, you know, and everything is amazing. Everything is perfect, you know, perfect environment, perfect food, you know, perfect people, no sin in the world. And so everything is like, yes, yes, yes. But there was one no. There was one no in the middle of the garden. Said That's the only no in the whole garden. Everything else is the land of yes here. And so uh, the powers of darkness come there, begin to sow seeds of doubt there. Did God really say that there's no no there? You know, are you sure, you know, uh, that there can be no no there? And uh, don't you want to have your eyes open there? So do you think God is really telling you the truth? And uh, hey, you're not going to die. Did God really say that? And so, uh, and then another lie that your eyes will be open. You know what? It's like God is holding something back from you. And why would God hold something back? Is God really good here? 
here. And the one thing that you don't have is the one thing you need. See that tree right there? Saying, look, look, look. The one thing going to make you happy is right over there. Did God really say all that, that you can't have that? So they ate of the tree of the good of, of, of knowledge of evil there. And so what happened then is relationship with God is broken. Watch, watch. And, and brokenness happens inside of us here. And so they're saying, hey, don't live in humble dependence upon God. You need to make your own decisions. You need to decide for yourself. Take it. Eat, baby, eat. So ultimately what happens, Genesis chapter 3 on the screens you can read here. Now look, look what happens to us. Did God really say you're not going to die? Your eyes will be open and you will be like God. The woman was convinced she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So now, hardwired inside of us, broken inside of everyone here, is this thing that says, yeah, I live in a world of yes, yes, oh, but look at that. I've got to have that, that one thing. That's the thing that's going to make me happy. So that is in all of us here. And so again, reading here in Genesis chapter 3, says at that moment, their eyes are open, and suddenly, look, what is introduced into the human experience? Shame. I'll watch what else is introduced. And they hid from the Lord God there. So now everything is destroyed here. Relationship with God, relationship with one another here. Now you have introduced into the human existence self-centeredness, self-centeredness, narcissism there, all about me, racism, sexism, hatred, injustice at this moment here. So now you have shame. Now you have shame. Now you have, in our experience, hiding from one another, hiding from God here. Now, how does this come to expression when we feel shame? This is what happens is, uh, I feel the shame, so I've got to do something. I've got to be better. Got to be better than you because I feel shame, you know. And if you, you really knew the truth about me and really know what I was really like, you probably wouldn't like me or love me. So I've got to be smarter and I've got to be prettier, and it's not enough, so I've got to be more than here. And I begin to play the game of comparing, you know, comparison game there. And so, uh, so I've got to be skinnier. I've got to be happier. I've got to be prettier. I've got to be more talented-er. I've got to be better-er. You know, I've just got to get a little more-er going on in my life. How many people know what I'm talking about? I've got to be more-er than you are. And so, uh, uh, and so, and, uh, and the one thing I need my spouse to be is more-er. And so, uh, better-er, whatever that is, you know, and as parents, you know, my kids here, I want them to fill their potential, right? Really? Really? Or do I want them to be better than your kids? And so, uh, so anyway, but in the end, in the end, watch, in the end, see, er is not enough. Er is not enough. Because, see, I got this thing going on inside me, shame going on inside me. That's the brokenness inside all of us. So I've got, it's not enough to be smarter. I've got to be smartest. And I've got to be happiest. And I've got to be skinny-ist. So I just need ist. You know, and so, so we'll live and drive ourselves to be ist. So I'll tell you in my own life what this looked like. So as uh, some of you may know that I went to school, I went to a professional dental school. So in dental school, you know how, how broken that I was? Is that I wanted to be the best at everything, every single, uh, everything in dental school except dentures because I didn't like doing dentures. But other than that, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the best at root canals, orthodontics, removable pros, fixed pros, you name it, I want to be the best. 
So, and I fought and struggled, and I doubled all the requirements. I got to be the best. I got to be the, the most ist. See, the brokenness, that's, that's how it comes to expression. So, uh, so we're like wired up. We're wired up this way to, uh, uh, to go into debt and to, and to knock ourselves out and work overtime. It destroys us because of this thing inside of us here. And the other thing you may have noticed was, was, was shame there. Okay, there was shame and then hiding from God. So we hide from each other. I watch what this looks like here as we hide in many ways. And what is the best way to hide? In plain sight. Right? In plain sight. And so, if you think about this, uh, I think we can hide with technology. Now, I love technology. I love my iPhone. I love my laptop. I love technology. So, it's, it's nothing to do with how much we may love it, but we can hide behind it. And that's what I want to mention here. And so, think about social media. Think about Snapchat and Facebook and Twitter, you know, and all. And, uh, and so, you've got your friends, you know, snapping them. And, and, uh, uh, and really, what are they seeing? Think about what they're seeing. Literally, uh, you, get, you get their snaps, you get their Facebook. You're comparing yourself to the highlight reels of other people's lives. And there you are at home, you know, and uh, you get the snap, and there they are eating dinner, you know, on the pier, five-course meal, and you're eating like your little SpaghettiOs, you know, and you're, and you're looking at that. Eat a little mac and cheese, you know. And, uh, and, so, and so, hey, and so, hey you, know, you, get, you get the uh, Facebook. Hey, I just ran, you know, um, uh, six miles in seven minutes, and I lost 20 pounds. I'm getting ready for the LA Marathon, you know, and you can barely get out of bed, you know. And so, uh, uh, you know, it's like, uh, hey, you know, um, I sent a draft, you know, for my new book, you know, and like, you can barely spell. And so, uh, hey, I was just quoted on Wall Street Journal, you know, check it out, you know. And, uh, and so, anyway, um, so James says this, and so he says this here. Boasting, lying, jealousy, such things are earthly, unspiritual, even demonic. And so we compare, uh, we compete with one another, and so, uh, but we can paint pictures on social media that really, you know, it's, it's not reality there. And so, uh, and so, but we can feel that need to hide, to hide things, you know. And so, hey, having the best day of my life, you know, and all that. So anyway, so the Bible talks about what happens, what happens if you got everything you wanted. What would happen to you if, you know, you just want the more? What would happen? Numbers chapter 11. People are giving, you know, are living in slavery there. So what happens when you're living in slavery? You just want what? You want, okay, one, two, three, it's freedom. You want? And so God not only gives them freedom there and delivers them in a miraculous way, gives them guidance, gives them a sense of his presence and all, take it into the promised land here. God gives them food to eat in the form of manna. They're like little wafers there, which means what is it? So, and then they start complaining about that. See, what was in them is the same thing as in us. Manna every day there. Can you imagine that? And then, uh, uh, and then that's not enough there. Like, hey, fried man, cook it however you want. Fried manna, you know, barbecued manna. You want a broiled manna, baked manna, manicotti, any manna you want, manna on a stick. <laughs> manna burgers, manna salads, you know, like manna banana cream pie for Thanksgiving. You got it, baby. So, no, that's not enough, you know. And so uh, there, man, so God's like, I had it with these people. It sends fire from heaven, you know. Things are burning there outside the community and all. And so uh, they get sick of that. We, we want meat. Man, back in the good old days, 
What you were a slave back then? That we had meat, you know, and all. That's what we want. So a God sends quail, you know. And the next thing they know is they got two feet of quail there, and then there's a plague. Because what happens when you get everything that you want? In the end, it's not going to go well there. And so here's the commentary. Numbers chapter 11, verse 34 says this in your notes. They ended up calling the place Kibroth Habitat, which means graves of craving because they buried the people who craved meat. So what do you end up when you want more and more and more and more in a crave of, in a grave of craving? You know, it's not enough. I've got to have that, that, that one no there. That's, I got to have that. And so that's the thing that's going to make me happy. That's inside of us. That's our brokenness, which can destroy us and can kill us there. And so watch what it says in Psalm 106 here. It says, God gave them. He gave them exactly what they asked for. And look at the result. But along with it, they got an empty heart. Got an empty heart. How many people know what it's like to have an empty heart? Get everything you want, but the reality is you peel all that away in your heart of hearts. You are empty. Another translation reads that they were, uh, he, sent, he sent leanness into their soul. Uh, and so what is it you need? Here's what you need to lock into. So that's the condition that we got to move against. Okay, so now point two is, what does it mean to be thankful? How do you become thankful people here? So what you need to lock into is this, the most uh, repeated phrase, not command, the phrase in the Bible is this here, Psalm uh, 106. says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And his faithful love endures forever. See, God's a loving God, and no one else will ever love you like God loves you. And notice this here. Notice this. Notice it. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because of what God is like. Now check this out. See, it doesn't say, hey, give thanks to the Lord because he's weak. Give thanks to the Lord because he's inconsistent. Give thanks to the Lord because he's cruel and hateful and vengeance. Give thanks to the Lord because he's unforgiving and untrustworthy and has no power. No, you give thanks to God because of who God is. Give thanks to God because because he's just so good there. And so the key thing, to build a thankful heart is this here, is this here. In your notes there, Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter with the password, Message Bible. Thank you. Thank you. And so you walk into the presence of God by giving thanks to him. And so um, now I get it. I get it. You know, we, we grew up in a culture, and I grew, I grew up this way too, that uh, my mom would always be, you know, she'd always say, Rodney, Rodney, say thank you. Thank you, Rodney. I always called me Rodney. Rodney, thank you. So I grew up, you know, I was, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it was just meaningless, you know, thank you for everything. You, know, you get the gifts, you know, and it's like you're hoping for a basketball. It's like a globe of the world, you know. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I was like, Rodney, say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love the globe. I'm going to throw it away. Thank you, you know. And so uh, I was hoping for a basketball. I got this dumb globe, you know. could care less about a globe. I still remember having it in my room. Anyway, and so, <laughs> so um, you know, so we're going to do a little exercise here. We're going to do a little exercise here. And so we're going to learn do a little exercise and kind of learn about gratitude. And so I'm going to say a particular things that you experience, and you're going to say, thank you. All right? You're going to say, thank you. Can I count on you? Can I count on you? All right. When you taste something like Thanksgiving, 
mashed potatoes and gravy, oh, those creamed vegetables, oh, it's going to be good. When you taste something that's really good and you realize that those taste buds, they're a gift from God, you say, when you want something, you want to do something, maybe you want to, you know, do something physical there, and you may not, your body may not always be in a condition to do that, but now it is, and you can do it, you say, when you read a great book, and you can, you can actually read it, and you enjoy it, you know, and uh, it stimulates you and inspires you, you know, and you understand it, you say, when you see the glory of a beautiful sunrise, a sunset there that, you know, Almighty God kind of painted that in the sky, you say, and then when you realize, you know what, that you're not living in Wisconsin at this time of the year, you say, right on, baby. So anyway, so in your notes there, it says the leading spiritual indicator of your life is this. In other words, telling you the direction that you're going in is this, is thankfulness. That is to have a thankful orientation there. You can tell the direction of someone's life by their orientation there. Are they thankful? Now watch this. The Bible says in Romans, like, look, they knew all about God. They knew all about God, but they didn't worship as God because they, they didn't give thanks. Now watch what happens if you don't want to give thanks. Like, you know what? I don't buy it. I want to live there. Watch what happens. And they began to think up foolish ideas. Really, they're becoming fools, okay, uh, of what God was like. And as a result, their minds, their minds became dark, darkened and confused there. And so the reason we should give our, uh, our entire lives back to God as a gift to God here is because of who God is. You know, if he was aloof or uncaring or indifferent or detached, you know, uh, that would be reason not to be grateful. But you can be grateful just because God is good. You know, it's not that he was inconsistent or untrustworthy there, but because he's good, you know, you give your life back to him here. And so if we could have a moment of honesty, if we could just have a moment of honesty here, how many of us this past week, you have complained, or maybe your neighbor or your spouse, your friend could, could vouch for you, how many of us complained this week about money? How many people complained this week about the government. How many people complain this week about, you don't have to raise your hand on this one, about your weight? You can raise your neighbor's hand though, okay? You can raise your, all right. How many people complain about your in-laws? Thanks, come on, Thanksgiving's coming, Christmas is coming, get them up. How many people have complained about your in-laws' weight? <laughs> <laughs> How many people have complained about your spouse that you have? No, don't put your hands up. The spouse, but you thought it's your spouse you have or you don't have. How many people complained about school there? How many people complained about your boss here? And so we're going to talk about now how to be thankful. And remember, all the smart people there, the research, all the sciences, they figured out how to be thankful. They figured out how to, how, how to have an attitude of gratitude. So this is what we're going to do here. We're going to look at the line there, okay? There's a line that separates the people above it, thankful, have an attitude of gratitude. Below it, okay, they don't have an attitude of gratitude. They're not thankful. Here is the line right here. People that are grateful, all the research, all the studies, you can Google it. What they did is they would think and write down what they were thankful about. Okay, they write many things, you know, maybe half dozen things, but you'd write some things, more than one that you're grateful, you're thankful for, and then they would speak it out. 
So if you are grateful for a hundred things or thankful for a hundred things, does that make you a grateful person? The answer is no. No, you've got to say it. You've got to text it. You've got to pray it. You've got to email it. You've got to speak it. You've got to tell people. So watch this, watch this. So that's what was considered to be a grateful person here. So I'm going to do that myself. I'm going to, I, I went through... Um, I, I went through the list, and so here's my list. Six things that I'm grateful for. And in your notes there, you're going to see your notes. Uh, in about five, ten minutes, I'm going to have you turn to somebody and tell them something you're thankful for. So be thinking about that, because otherwise you're going to be embarrassed when you turn to somebody to tell them. So here's six things I'm grateful for. I'm really grateful for Rooted. Uh, I'm grateful for Pastor Sean leading Rooted. I'm grateful for the stories of life change. There's amazing stories of life change. And we're going to close, and we're going to celebrate those stories there. And so uh, I'm grateful for, too, the, the stories of life change I heard in real marriage. I mean, just, just amazing stories coming out of there. Oh, God, the things God is doing in people's marriages here. And I'm so grateful to be a part of community that is celebrating that and a part of that journey there. I'm grateful for my wife, Kirsten. She's amazing. Uh, I picked her off uh, when she was 17 years old. I was in uh, Goodwin's Market, in Goodwin's Market, and, uh, and I was shopping for some, uh, uh, in the fruit section there. And I saw her at the bakery, and I just stopped, and I just I had a moment there. And I just felt like God was telling me, you're going to marry her. Never even spoke to her. And I, and I said, I thought, I'm going to marry her. And I went home and I told my roommate. I said, you know that girl that works in the bakery at, at Goodwin's? I said, I'm going to marry her. She said, you don't even know her. I said, I know I don't even know her, but I'm going to marry her. And I married her, you know, five years later. And so, you know, that's the story. You didn't, you didn't know that story. But um, anyway, so, uh, so grateful for, I'm grateful for my sons. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful, uh, I have three boys. I'm so grateful that one of them is graduating next month uh, because I don't have to pay tuition anymore. I'm so grateful for that. Uh, I'm grateful that you are here. I'm grateful that I get to share the journey with you. My life is full and my life is blessed because I get to be a part of this amazing community called Sanctuary Church. And so there it is. I verbalized, you know, a half dozen things that I'm grateful for. And remember the benefits. Remember the benefits. You'll be more optimistic. You'll be more socially connected. You'll be, for, you'll be more forgiving, more generous. Uh, you'll be better looking. Did you get that? To, okay, you got it. Okay, good. So, uh, so who's responsible for your thankfulness quotient? Who's responsible? Your neighbor? Your spouse? Your best friends? Your pa- Who's responsible? You are. You're responsible for the thankfulness quotient in your life here. And so our definition in your notes of thankfulness is this, is wanting what I have. It's just wanting what I have. Look at 1 Thessalonians. It says, pray continually, give thanks, watch, in all circumstances, not because of, not for the circumstance, but in them. As a lifestyle here, you're giving thanks to God. For this is, watch, God's will. Do you want to know God's will? You'd be thankful. For you, you'd be thankful. It's that simple there. And so God is really looking for those that would be thankful to him. And so because what's going to happen over the holiday No matter what you have, what you're going to hear is, oh, but you deserve better. 
You could be better. You know, that car, that wardrobe, that house, better, 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 you know. And so uh, 30 seconds ago, you didn't even know you needed. And now, like, you need, like, the new gadget that, you know, you never knew existed there. So we're going to yell some things out together here. And some of you might even need to stand up. You might need to point at somebody. You may need to high-five somebody, you know, uh, during certain parts of these categories here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, I love my, okay, I love my, you're going to say, you're going to say, I'm thankful for my fill-in-the-blank of what, what that is. I'm thankful for my fill-in-the-blank. Okay, so when you're leaving here this morning and you go out to the parking lot there and uh, next to your car, you know, you're losing the term loosely, you know, uh, uh, you know, is the ultimate dream machine there, that Barracuda, you know, or whatever, then uh, uh, that vintage car, that whatever, you know, is the ultimate dream machine that you've always dreamed of, you know, and then, and you're looking at your car, and you're getting ready to open it, it's got tomatoes for tires, you know, and it's got duct tape holding the seats together there, you know, there's some dings, and it squeaks, you know, a little puddle of oil there on the, on the, in the, in the parking lot, and you're looking at that, you're looking at the dream machine, you know, and you're going to say, I'm thankful for my car. So maybe it's a piece of junk. You can still be thankful for it, though, that you have wheels, you know. And so uh, and then maybe you go out, you know, to uh, look at your clothes and your wardrobe there, you know. It's a little out of date, you know, and it's, uh, uh, it's a little, uh, uh, makes you look a little heavier maybe than you are. But you're still going to say, I'm thankful for my clothes. That was weak. I'm thankful for my Okay, then you're going to look at your body. And uh, in the mirror, you know, tomorrow morning, you're going to say, I'm thankful for my, really. And then you're going to look at your spouse when you wake up in the morning and be careful there, be careful there. But you're going to say, I'm thankful for my spouse. Right on, baby. I'm thankful for what I have here. So watch in your notes, contentment is this. It's not wanting more in your notes, not wanting more. Because who's more content, the man with five children or the man with 50 million? Five children or 50 million? Who's more content? The man with five kids because he doesn't want any more. Philippians 4.11, I've learned, watch, I've learned to be content. I've learned, I wasn't born that way. You know, it's something that you learn. Paul said, I've learned in whatever situation that I'm in to be content. But something that you have to learn here because you're not born that way. You're born into a broken world and you're broken there. And so uh, remember, remember what's always being told you. The one thing that you need that you don't have is that over there. You know, it's like, but here's the thing. It's like you're always thinking about the there. And if I only had, if I only had that over there, I'd be good and I'd be content. No, you've got to be, you got to learn to be content right here. Because you don't learn to be content here, you'll never learn to be content there. Because there's people here this morning, they live there where you'd like to be and they'll tell you, you know what, even when you're there, not here, you still won't be content if you don't learn here. So I have learned whatever state right here to be content. See, it's an illusion to think, you know, if I get the next whatever, then I'll be content. No, you've got to be learn to be content right where you are. So we're going to close here by saying, um, I don't need it. And so 
Uh, so there you are, and you're looking at the perfect car that you always wanted, you know, uh, and it's got like the girl draped over the hood, you know, and it's just amazing. The whole thing is, you know, trying to engage you. But you're going to say, I don't need it. You're going to say, and you're going to look at the catalog filled with gadgets, you know, and all these cool things, you know, and uh, lithium, uranium drone, you know, that, uh, and all, and you're going to say, wow, you know, look at that gadget, but then you're going to say, I don't need it. Right. And those of you that golf, you know, you got golf or maybe, uh, maybe, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's tennis, you know, uh, but uh, you've got to get the new hyper light, you know, ultra graphic lithium, you know, uranium filled racket or, or golf club driver, you know, it's going to make you hit harder and drive the ball a hundred yards farther. You're going to say, and so, uh, my wife, Kirsten, is going to have one day of unlimited shopping at Citrus Plaza. And the question is, will she be happier? One day, unlimited, anything she wants, shopping at Citrus Plaza, will she be happier? And the answer is, the answer is, is her husband generous? The answer is, she will never know because it's never going to happen. And the first service didn't get that because she was in the first service. So that was only for you. Psalm 118, this is, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Read it with me on the screens here. What's it say? Give to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever there.